It's go time. Does Arash Madani not like the commissioner of the CFL? These and other questions will be answered on Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble. Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. Glad we're together again to bring you another insightful and hopefully entertaining look at the Canadian Football League. And you can't start anywhere nowadays, it seems like, without vetting that question three downs or four i am glad that the commissioner did come out and put that to rest saying that it is three downs at this point in time but certainly there's been a lot of speculation over the last number of months about how invested the cfl was to look at all the rule changes including potentially four downs or move ahead and it brought a lot of discussion to the cfl which in in my way of looking at it is a good thing people are talking about things yeah i agree with you pat we talk a lot about publicity and keeping the CFL front of mind during the offseason. And this is certainly something that has sparked some interest and got a lot of the CFL fans passionate in one regard or the other. It certainly seems from everything that I have seen and read that fans are vehemently opposed to going to four downs. It's the three downs that makes the CFL unique. There's a lot of other four down football out there for people to watch. So keeping the three downs is, is a key component to what makes the CFL what it is. You can argue that three downs is one of the key ingredients. You could argue that like the field, with the field, more close relationship to its origins in rugby, the Canadian football certainly enjoys. The, the question of four downs, I think, will never go away. Even if, let's say that as a reported in Three Down Nation's website, Arash Madani stating that the vote to go to four downs was shot down seven to two. The two teams in favor, the Toronto Argonauts and the Calgary Stampeders. Now, Toronto, I think, has been painted with that brush several times over. So probably not a huge surprise. But the Stampeders siding up with them, uh, that's interesting to me because I wouldn't have thought that a Western team would necessarily be that interested. Remember, Calgary, the oil patch, there are a lot of American corporate executives in Calgary. There hasn't really been anything confirmed beyond what Arash Madani has said about who voted for what and if it was indeed on the table. Tend to take what Arash says with a grain of salt. We knew he was doing some pot stirring even on Grey Cup Sunday. And he likes to get some controversial takes out there every now and then. I don't know if we'll ever really fully grasp what went on and what how serious the vote was. Or maybe it was even just a vote of who wanted to explore it further that Calgary maybe was on board with and not necessarily making grand changes to the game. I think having some of those discussions that are potentially controversial can be very good for the league. While Arash Madani maybe wasn't going in that direction, I think having people stand up and talk about what they love in the CFL, and that is some of the nuances of the three-down game, and to hear the legends who came out and spoke for three-down football, gets people talking about the game and the passion that they have for the game. So, well, maybe the intention wasn't to get everyone thinking, okay, we are moving towards four downs or there's a strong possibility. It certainly got people moving towards why we love the game and what's important to us when we talk about CFL football. There is sort of an axiom that exists that 
love me, hate me, but don't ignore me. The problem I have with some of this conjecture with regard to the CFL, whether it's three downs, four downs, whether the XFL is coming or not, is that there's always this threat mechanism that seems to be about and that people get their, their hackles up and really get upset when the league comes under threat. Now, I grant you that creates media coverage, that creates discussion, but do we have to always go down that road to get the CFL on the front page? I don't really like it. What I would rather see, if we could see more of it, the deal with um, Genius Sports made headlines, front page, very positive. We need more of that. We can't have this threat mentality all the time that something from the game that we know and love is going to be taken away unless we stand up for it. And oh, that by the way, that's good for media coverage. You're right, Don. And case in point to that is the talking about talking with the XFL that we discussed ad nauseum for about three months. And there was a lot of opinion, a lot of conjecture and a lot of people afraid of losing what we have. At the end of the day, it was we don't fully understand and, and know all the details of what was discussed, but it was certainly an opportunity for partnership. There was no serious discussion about they were looking at absorbing the league, changing it to four downs. We don't really fully know all of the details. But again, that conjecture, that fear was that we were going to lose our Canadian game. It was going to be taken over by Redbird Capital and become unrecognizable. And I don't know what it is about CFL fandom that we are so fragile as a group that we we fear anything that is going to potentially harm or even an inkling of of change in the league. There's something to be said for being a small island in a sea of four-down football, and the CFL is that island. Even within the provinces in Canada, not all provinces play three-down football. The CFL, U-Sport, are the two basic entities that carry the three-down banner with them. It's little wonder then that if you're in the sea of the NFL, U.S. college, you've got now the USFL, maybe the XFL next year, there's a tremendous amount of competition for that space and a lot of pressure. There is this little bit of paranoia that goes on with Canadian Football League fans that, oh my goodness, here we go again, somebody's going to come after us and try to steal the game from us. Do you think that part of that is because the CFL, when it's been taking a look at rule changes, is effectively said that everything's in play rather than saying okay these are the givens this is what's going to stay about our game and we're willing to play with rules outside of that they've changed some of those traditions in football the example being the point after to move it back to 32 yards was a fairly creative thinking in my way of looking at it as well as the points after whether you're going for a single or you're you're going for two points after a touchdown the cfl has been open to change where a lot of leagues really aren't, other than the ones that are new and coming out to try to capture an audience. And the CFL has, in recent years, been more open to that. Being bold and taking chances is not necessarily a bad thing. And we look at the NFL and the potential for changing the overtime rules to something more modeled after what the CFL is currently doing. We, we've seen very close NFL games decided in that almost sudden death overtime rule that they have now, whereas in the CFL, both teams getting a chance on offense 
is a lot more exciting and a lot more fair way to decide a game. So the CFL, I I know where you're coming from, Pat, and I don't want to see four downs either. I'm a, I'm a proponent of three down football, but the CFL being bold and taking a chance at some new ideas is what keeps it fresh and what keeps it different from all the other football out there. The big thing that the CFL is struggling with is this lack of scoring. And as you look at the sequence from about 2010 on, the scoring in the league has slowly, slowly, slowly crept downward. Part of the problem, I think, is the number of plays in the game just aren't there. And we talk about it as pace of play, and a lot of people get confused thinking, oh, we want to get the game done in three hours. Yes, that's part of the equation. But the other part of the equation is pace of play on the field. Let's have more plays. Let's get 100 plays or 110 plays or 120 plays. The more plays you have, the more opportunity you have to score defensively, offensively. That will help generate interest. That will help generate more competition. Put the 34-second clock in. Do something like 32 seconds. We've talked about that as being a a rule change. However, you can also have the the coaching change that, which we've seen in the NFL, I believe. The hurry-up offense or the influence of the college game to get more plays in quicker so you have more of an opportunity to move and catch the defenses off guard is certainly... I think change the NFL game, allowing them to have more more plays than the CFL game does right now. And that's not something we saw a while ago. So I think it's, again, those changes in the coaches' ideas can also impact the game. It doesn't necessarily have to be rule changes. I'm not opposed to it. I do like the idea of rule changes being fresh. But I think we also maybe need some coaching idea refresh as well. In the CFL, it's dependent upon the head official looking at both benches, and determining that all the substitutions have been made, and then he winds that 20-second clock up. So it's much more arbitrary in the CFL than it is in the NFL, where there's a hard standard that you have to live with. When you get tackled, you've got 40 seconds to put that ball back into play. The CFL, you don't have that. They do champion the 20-second clock, but it's rarely 20 seconds that teams have. They more often have 35 to 38. Well, let's get it down to 34 and force them to move And maybe that'll eliminate some of the defensive substitutions that we see. Teams may want to go into hurry up because with 34 seconds, you can't really diddle. Yeah, and I'm not opposed to moving that to a a rule change. However, I'm also saying coaches themselves can speed up that pace of game on the decisions that they make. If you look at the potential for big plays in the CFL as well, I agree with where Don's coming from on this one. We have a much wider field than an NFL field, and we've got these massive end zones that go on forever. So the more plays you can run, the more potential for game-breaking big plays that add more excitement to the game as well. The other part of this whole equation, and we've seen some speculation coming from the players as well. And one idea, this goes harkens back to what Heath had put out a few weeks ago or maybe having a special occasion where he can have four downs, is that Trevor Harris with the Alouettes had suggested maybe in negative territory you get a four-down opportunity. I don't know if that really works. Heath's idea were maybe once in a game or twice in a once and a half, you could say, okay, this is our four-down drive and and call it before you start. I like Heath's idea. That's really being creative, and it would give an opportunity for the CFL to take a look at extending offensive plays and or progress down the field at least once or twice a game. I love that. 
I guess one of the fears of going to a situation like this is if you've got a fairly decent running back, it might turn it into a little bit more of a boring game where you're just grinding out because you've got that extra down to run. I don't necessarily think that that's going to be the case. I think with the way CFL offenses run, getting one more opportunity to throw a pass on on any given drive is going to go a long way to increase the excitement. Changing the entire game to four down will change the way coaches call a game and the style of play. But I think just adding a little bit of excitement and a little bit of a, a different look once or twice a game, you're going to see more opportunity for offense, but not necessarily a completely different game call. Is there anything wrong, though, with that offense grinding the ball out? So you want to use up the clock and you're going to use your four down option and you've got Andrew Harris running behind Winnipeg's offensive line. What a great opportunity to use it. And and again, it's strategic. It, it would give you something to think about and defense has to adjust. The one thing that I would think in that circumstance is maybe I would preclude teams from using it in the final three minutes so that you couldn't take advantage of it if you're up by two to give it to Harris and run out the clock with two and a half minutes to go. Uh, I don't think a lot of people would be real thrilled to watch that happen. That's an excellent point, Don. And I guess the question would come, what if you do start that at about the five-minute mark and you get to the three-minute warning and, and you're there? How does the CFL take a look at that? So... I I love the final three minutes in the game, especially the CFL, because it is so exciting and there's many opportunities to move the ball and score. If the clock is at five minutes and you haven't declared it, you've lost it because you don't want that risk going into the final three. Unless you're behind, then you might say, okay, under these circumstances, now we're getting into real nuances and, and maybe just too many sort of idiosyncratic, oh, well, this, but not that, and this, but not that. Or do you just say at three minutes, if you're going back to three downs, if you start on the five minute, that's up, you know, poor coaching. I'm always afraid of the Pandora's box effect. If you can do it once, you can do it twice. If you can do it twice, you can do it four times, and all of a sudden we've got a game full of it. The three downs forces you, if you want to use a pass, you've got to look downfield. You can't throw three and then hope to get seven on second down. And yet offensively, I think we see a number of coordinators going on that ball control type of offense instead of throwing down the field. We're going to go five to seven yards consistently on the passes and force the defense to make the stop, which the defenses tend to be happy to do right now. That is, I think, part of what's impacted the play in the CFL is we don't see teams taking those strikes quite as often, at least in my opinion, but I'm sure there are some stats that may Say some quarterbacks, some teams are, are d- definitely doing that. But I, I see a lot more ball-controlled offense, which I find sometimes as a fan is, is, is painstaking because you can march all the way down and it only takes one stop on one of those passes that are three to five yards to, to make the play and, and to force them to kick. That's the old defensive bend-don't-break philosophy that we hear so much of. If you look at the entire spectrum of three down versus four down, right through until the mid-70s, teams would gamble on third down way more than they do now. Now, we started in 2021 to see some teams take advantage of that. You're around midfield, it's third and two, can't kick the field goal, punt isn't going to solve anything, let's go for it. That would help the game quite a bit if you would see more of that. And it was routine back in the day. Third and two, you weren't kicking. You were going for it. Yeah, that's that's a risky decision for coaches because if you don't make it, 
once or twice and the team does happen to move down, then then they're going to have some questions on them. And we know our coaches now are very controlled about ball control is more important than it is to take the risk and, and shoot downfield or take that third down gamble in many cases because it's a win now type of situation for most of our coaches. I agree, Don. I'd love to see teams make more chances. If you could do that consistently to move your team down into scoring position, then I think we'd see more chances. But the reality is on third and two, if if you're still having a ball control offense, then the opportunity to be stopped again or force a third down where you're going to potentially have to kick later certainly happens. But if it's to get there and take some strikes and move down the field, I think if they're a little more creative and a little more on the attack, offenses could certainly be doing that. From my understanding of every hometown crowd, the fans want to see every home team go for it on third and two in just about any situation in any given game. I guess the question is, what is a successful third down conversion rate that you can live with as a coach, as a team, much like the philosophy of going for two after every touchdown? You've got potential to add more points on the board for your team by going for two. 66% success rate on a two-point attempt pretty much is a wash compared to kicking the single. To go back to what you're saying, if, if you were to fail, let's say you make 40% of your third down gambles, you're still, as a coach and an organization, likely to get lit up on the phone show after, particularly if you lose. If you win and it pays off, you're going to be fine. Nobody's going to remember it. But if you lose... Oh boy. I still think I would be more in favor of coaches looking at taking more chances with third down. The ultimate objective of any football game is to win. And if you don't believe that your team has it in them to get two yards, then you better work harder during the week to get them there. There's a lot of second guessing when you're a defense because are they going to run at us? Is the quarterback going to sneak? Is it going to be a little out pass? Are they going to go right over the top? There's all kinds of opportunities, I think, for an offense because they've got the defense in a bind for the offense to actually capitalize. And statistically, and this is numbers that come out of the NFL, but they have argued incessantly, the numbers guys have argued that if you keep gambling, it's going to pay off in the end. You're actually going to be way further ahead. It boils down to situational awareness as well. I don't think it's in your best interest to go for third and two every time when you're on your own 25 yard line because if you are unsuccessful it almost immediately results in points coming back at you but beyond the midfield stripe or beyond the opponent's 50 yard line 45 yard line you're probably better in the long run you convert even at a clip of 66 percent of the time you're going to get into field goal range almost immediately on doing that and instead of punting potentially getting a single point or some field position, if 66% of the time you're getting at least three points out of it, it's probably worthwhile. Another factor that could play into those types of decisions is the substitution rule, right? We see teams often on third down bring in their horses and both teams have an opportunity to make substitutions. If teams were in that hurry-up offense or had less time to make those decisions by potentially changing the clock or having some substitution rule changes, I think coaches might also be more willing to go for it. I'm I'm not aware of what happened in the 60s and 70s in the substitution side, but I'm guessing many cases those same players that have been out for first down and second down remained out for third down. 
And we don't see that now. We see much more specialization due to the substitutions. The more you expand the roster size, the more substitution you then can affect in a game because you've got more people available to you. Back in the 60s and 70s, the rosters weren't that big. They were probably about a dozen less than they are today. Well, that's 12 people that play now that could be rush ends, could be offensive linemen, tight ends, whatever the case may be, that are available to you for a need basis situation. Mm-hmm. There, I think, is where part of the problem is. I, If you trim the rosters, I've argued that a little bit, then you would eliminate some of this speciality. It's a tough ask of the Players Association because they want more jobs for everybody, and I totally respect that. So however they approach that is fine. The thing is, though, if you if you start cutting down on the number of substitutions, you're right. You would see more opportunities. Which I'd love to see because that's what makes the game fun. We may see more of it. It's a change in coaching philosophy, as Pat kind of alluded to as well. It's You've got to look at how you call the game. And something similar that you see in the NHL is the decision on when to go to the extra attacker and pull your goalie. And we're seeing it more often now with three minutes left in a third period in a one-goal game where that team that's trailing is taking that chance. An empty net goal going back the other way virtually ends it, but to have an extended period of time where you're taking advantage seems to mathematically work out. They, they've obviously done the math to look at the risk factor involved, and maybe the CFL needs to get a more mathematical approach to this and look at the odds and how often you're successful and what that leads to. One option would be if the offensive team on third down does not make substitutions, nor can the defense. So if you've finished your second down and you decide, hey, we're going for a gamble on third down, you leave the same personnel on the field, then there's no substitutions on defense, you got to go. And it might entice coaches to take that chance a bit more. That would be a real simple solution. That, that That's a creative idea. We started this podcast talking about three downs versus four downs. Rash Madani's been doing a lot of poking at the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, over this. If there's one hallmark of Randy Ambrosi's commissionership, it's that he tends to let things hang out in the ether for quite a long time before he makes a statement. He certainly did in this case. He could have come forward some time ago and ended the three-down discussion. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier. Is it good to have someone talking about the league? From Arash Madani's point of view, I think most reporters right now are trying to be the first guy to find a scoop. And I think Arash Madani is certainly one who does want that type of recognition that he is on the CFL. He has an understanding. Even his response today to go out and say, okay, here's a vote. And Randy, tell us about the vote. Tell us what's going on. It's him trying to say, I have inside knowledge. Well, the commissioner got really upset with some of the discussion that was going on because, of course, there was this allegation that somehow Genius Sports was pushing the CFL to seriously consider moving to four downs. Uh, Out of Calgary, they checked with Genius Sports and Genius said, no, we're not interested in doing that. That's not what our portfolio is. Even after that, it took about two more weeks before it stepped up and said, nope, it's three. That's the way it's going to be. Maybe in the background, he was hearing chatter from a couple of teams like, we haven't finished with this discussion yet, so don't say anything and preclude any judgment until we're done with it first. Then his hands are clearly tied in those circumstances. But he tends to, 
He's the type of guy that likes to have everything aired out in the boardroom and not out in the media. And when it does happen in the media, he tends to be slow at getting out there to get back in front of it. Again, that could boil down to letting that discussion continue to go so that CFL is front of mind. It is getting that publicity. The, the longer it takes for the commissioner to make a statement, be it correct or incorrect information, the more information that's tossed around and the more eyes are on the CFL. It very well could be a little bit of genius from Randy Ambrosi in his silence. I don't disagree with what you're saying, Heath, but I think to go more to what Don's saying is he does have the opportunity at times to say, this is what we stand for. And he seems loath to do that. He seems to, to, to wait, as you said, Don, for a long time until everyone's had discussion. Everyone's made their points of what they think is going to happen. And the reality is he could quash discussions and set people straight a little bit more. Uh, I think more of an NFL commissioner who often will come out and say, here's where we stand and this is what we are. Now, the NFL is a much stronger organization, I think, that can have that mouthpiece say that, where the CFL has the nuances of different ownership groups and community ownership groups as well, trying to appease all of them. And certainly, Randy Ambrosi hasn't been as outspoken as past commissioners. He spoke in his State of the League address that they didn't waste the crisis. And I wonder if that's almost becoming an albatross around him, because if you're advocating that you took the time to look at everything about your product, whether it was marketing, game performance, uh, the fan experience at the gate, television rights, internet rights, all this sort of stuff, and trying to re-envision what you're going to be. You've stated a claim that you're doing this. And I think that's where the fans have been quick to say, this is what I think it should be, or here's what my belief is when... We're not filling in the gaps, but I'll go back to maybe what Heath said before. Is that good for the CFL? Is the case of any news and discussion, whether it's controversial or whether it's affirming what we already have, good news for the CFL? And I think the end of the day, it is good for the CFL to have people talking about it. But not with the vitriol that sometimes comes with the discussion. And that's where I think that's where the discussion can fall down. You can't have animosity with every discussion. Sometimes you need something that makes you feel good inside, that you're all happy together about. Having these, oh, the XFL is going to take over or we're going to four downs. It's just, I don't know that fear and loathing is going to suffice as a mechanism to keep you in the media forever because eventually people are just going to get tired of the discussion. You need something more positive to give to people. The genius sports were waiting for what they're going to unveil. This could be groundbreaking. I'm excited for that. I don't really want to be debating whether we're playing three or four. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Well, we can shift gears a little bit here tonight as well and look at some good news. The CFL Combine has got more coverage, I believe, this year than it has in, in previous years. I don't know if this is an involvement with Genius Sports a little bit as well, but on CFL.ca, you can watch the entire CFL Combine in replay, and there's lots of breakdown and information there. 
So it's it's great for the league to finally be embracing a little bit of this. We know the NFL and their combine has been a huge part of their offseason for many, many years. And the CFL up until this year seems to have been a little bit of an also-ran. The uh, combine also was on YouTube because then I could watch it on the big screen of my TV through Apple TV. And that was really sweet. And I stayed with it for quite a while. Marshall Hamilton and uh, Enoch Moamba did a great job of providing insight, background, storylines to everyone that was participating. And I was really impressed by that because we don't often, especially 20 years ago, who, who knew of anyone that was going into the combine? Well, now you've got Three Down Nation, you've got Justin Dunk, you've got uh, Marshall Hamilton, you've got a whole slew of people, J.C. Abbott, who are digging deep into these guys' stories and bringing them out because these are real people looking for real opportunities. And I thought that was fascinating. And the twin Ford brothers that were from Waterloo showing so well at that combine, it just really popped some eyes open. I thought it was fantastic to see and be able to watch. And I think it's great for you sports and those athletes themselves. It gives them something to aspire to. So the young athletes that are out there, whether they're just coming out of high school, heading to youth sports or in youth sports, dreaming of a career in football, when they're able to watch, they can now say, I'm seeing what these high caliber athletes are doing and I can aspire to do the same. And I agree, Don. I love the coverage. I'm hopeful that this is just the beginning of something that's going to maybe blossom further. I really congratulate the CFL for getting together with YouTube and having it up there because it was great to be able to watch. I can't say I watched the whole thing, but the parts I did, I loved. Of course, one of the stories that was coming out is that Trey Ford, the quarterback from Waterloo, was scouted by the NFL in Buffalo and he put up some great numbers. And here's a little piece of trivia. Who was the first and only quarterback from U-Sport at that time? that was ever drafted into the NFL. How far back are we going? Not that far. Jesse Palmer? Mm, well, Jesse Palmer was drafted, but he wasn't a U-sport guy. No, I was thinking Vavra, but I think that's maybe too far back. Oh, well, it's a name that is not on everyone's first of thought when it comes to this. Dan Faraday, quarterback with the Toronto Varsity Blues. 1982, 12th round pick of the Cincinnati Bengals. So not going back too far. That was 40 years ago, Don. <laughs> Vavra was after him, I do believe. Just a couple of years after, yes. But yeah. Trey Ford could have an opportunity to be picked up in the NFL. His future is probably more tied to the CFL, especially with the BC Lions now having a Canadian starter and backup that the Canadian quarterback especially is not seen as a novelty it's actually seen as a starter this is one of the great things of having more coverage on the on the cfl combine as well is not only trey ford who seems to be a bit of the household name of of up-and-coming canadian players but we're actually seeing some more up-and-coming quarterbacks and and really people at, at all positions and it's it's great recognition one of the things with a combine is it never necessarily 100% translates into an established player. You can blow things out of the water at the combine and still not be a, a standout in your professional league. But it gets us some more opportunity to see these CIS players get to learn some of their backstory. So the ones that do make it 
we are familiar with and go, oh yeah, I saw him. He ran a, a 4 five forty at the combine and look at him now. What impressed me with Trey Ford especially was that he was chucking to everybody that was moving. He didn't have any problem with being out there and participating where we have seen quarterbacks in the past not be so thrilled about doing any extra effort at a combine. Ford, I think, gave great account of himself, and I'm sure there were a lot of teams that were very motivated and interested in seeing him in their colors. The question is, will the NFL grab him high enough and give him a real opportunity to be a quarterback that that may have to wait in the CFL or may never happen? Good for him if he can do it, especially good for you, sport that a Canadian quarterback from a Canadian university is garnering this kind of attention right across North America. The one question mark, I guess, still for NFL scouting is size. We are seeing some undersized NFL quarterbacks be quite successful. Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. There's a few other ones out there as well. But Trey Ford is not quite six feet tall, just under 200 pounds. And coming from a Canadian program, is he going to be able to do enough to get that look? We know Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray were on the radar because they played in U.S. college systems, and that was what got them to where they are. If he doesn't get a crack at the NFL, he is a a great size and of great athletic ability to be a stalwart CFL quarterback. I'm hoping that if the NFL does look at him, that they're not going to convert him into something other than quarterback, because I would love to see him take charge of an offense. If Trey Ford gets the opportunity, he has the nuances of the game down and he's going to be able to adjust and potentially help the quarterbacks on the field by assuming he's not starting right away, but watching the game and and talking to the quarterbacks through the headphones about what's going on because he's going to have that understanding of the game. So my hope is that he does end up with an opportunity in the NFL. I think our athletes deserve that when they show as well as he has. But at the same point, I'm hopeful that he will end up back in the CFL because he's an exciting player And that's what I love about this combine is you get to know who are the up-and-coming Canadian players that we're going to see either in our league and in some cases play in the NFL and we can follow along with our hometown boys in the NFL. And Don mentioned earlier that uh, Terrell Ford also had a very good combine and was actually the fastest. He ran a 4-4-2-40 in the combine and a Canadian defensive back, as we know, can be well sought after as a ratio changer. We see a lot of that focus for Canadian content on the offensive side of the ball. And we've talked a little bit previously about what a difference maker having a defensive back as a Canadian can really change things up for your team. The one thing that really is, I think, sets the Canadian combine apart from the NFL combine is one-on-one competition. In the NFL, it's you against the clock. It's you against the weight. It's you against something abstract. In this Canadian one, after you've done all that, after you've done your weight reps and after you've done your 40 and after you've done your jump, you then go on to one-on-one competitions. That's linemen versus linemen. That's running backs versus linebackers. That's receivers versus DBs. That, I think, is just a really, really brilliant way of doing it because then you get to see people measure up against their competition face-to-face. And you have the opportunity to see if what they have on tape is what you get when you're in person as well. I think the important part of this that we don't see are the 
team personnel having the opportunity to meet with the athletes to determine whether they're not whether or not they are the type of athletes that they want on their team. They have people of character, their understanding, their knowledge of the game. Those things we see in the one-on-ones, I think, a little bit in terms of skill. But the discussions that happen behind the scene are certainly important to these teams as well. Draft day is a hit and miss. Doesn't matter what pro league you are. You can go back through the last 10 NBA drafts and where are the number ones today. The last 10 number ones in Major League Baseball, where are they today? NFL, NHL, it really doesn't matter. It's a bit of a crapshoot. I'm looking forward to draft day. It should be interesting for the youth sport players that we have uh, coming towards the CFL and those who get the opportunity at the NFL in the camps. Randy Ambrosi admitted that he has COVID, saying that he's not too, too bad. You've got to be careful with COVID. It affects everybody differently. It does. We wish him all the best and a speedy recovery and hope to see him getting back out and promoting this game as soon as he can. It's uh, it's great to have this off-season publicity and to go across the country and promote the game. We've got a lot of great things and, and the CFL draft coming up. Always interesting to see where the chips fall and, and who the highly touted draft picks are. And this year, we talked about Trey Ford. It's going to be really interesting to see if a team wants to take advantage of their early draft position to grab him or if the consensus is that he's going to get a look south and it may be a little while before he's able to crack a CFL roster. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.